welcome to the Tabletop Gaming Magazine podcast. Uh, I'm Chris Eggert, the editor of the magazine, and today I'm joined by Trevor Benjamin and David Thompson, uh, the designers of uh, games like uh, War Chest uh, and Undaunted Normandy, and now uh, Undaunted North Africa. Hi, guys. Hi, Chris. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having us. I'm very well, thank you, yes. Uh, how are you both? Yeah, good. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's 2020. Um, it's an odd year, but um, it's an odd year for everyone. So, you know, getting used to it. Well, I mean, I think you should both be very excited because we've, we've got a um, a uh, really excellent review uh, of uh, Undaunted, Undaunted um, North Africa coming in the next issue of the magazine, uh, which lands sometime this week. Uh, and it's a, uh, it got a must play. Um, so, which is our, our highest award uh, that we can, we can possibly offer. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, you, you should be uh, uh, ideally over the moon. Um, yeah. <laughs> could you could you imagine how if if it was a horrible review and we were on the podcast, how yes. awkward it would be? <laughs> yeah, that's it. yeah. yeah. Sure. Well, do you know what? I may not have mentioned it. I may have done something uh, <laughs> horribly <laughs> disingenuous. <laughs> Yeah. Well, no, I'm... we we really appreciate it. We've been um, super fortunate so far that all the reviews have been have been really positive. So that's a great that's great. And so uh, for those who don't know who, who are listening to this, um, uh, Undaunted and the Undaunted series, they're, they're um, abstract war games, and they're and in my experience, they're abstract war games that you can play while holding a baby. Um, which I think is uh, probably one of the highest um, sort of uh, recommendations for like a robustness of a system. Um, but no one's ever, no one ever forgets what they're doing, uh, and uh, everything works. And you can pass a baby back and forth, as I did on my first game uh, of Undaunted North Africa. Um, so, uh, but we're here to talk about um, abstract war games uh, as a as a more general principle. So, I wanted to maybe start by asking you both, sort of how how you approach making these games, I suppose. Uh, well, I mean, so like everything, it depends, right? Um, I will say that generally speaking, Trevor's strength and background is stronger on the abstract side and mine's stronger on the war game side, right? So it depends on where we're, where we're starting from. I mean, um, even as simple as War Chest was Trevor's original idea um, derived from the core Undaunted system, and Undaunted was my original system derived from the thematic background, right? So mm-hmm. uh, it really just depends on the origin. Yeah, oh, that's really interesting. I didn't know I didn't know their systems were linked actually. Although thinking about it, I should have known. Because uh, <laughs> no, no, I mean, it literally was a case of um, you know, so Undaunted, um, the core design of that was done, and I just wanted to know, like, okay, let's what would a game look like if we stripped it down to its core it's absolute core and and um and built uh yeah an abstract strategy game around that um and because yeah i'm a i'm a huge abstract strategy game fan i mean i grew up playing chess and go and and games like this and then um you know obviously in the modern age there's there's lots of great games and so it's it was yeah. i saw the potential in that system but david said i'm 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 yeah i i much I'm much more likely to come at things from a from the perspective of just pure simplicity and abstractness, whereas David um, David needs a rich historical theme to, to excite him. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And I've, I've realized I've done a terrible thing here, which is I forgot to do the bit where I ask you to introduce yourselves. <laughs> it's not too late. It's not too late. No, it's not. It's not too late. Not, okay. not too late. <laughs> so do you guys right, want to introduce so, yeah. yourselves? <laughs> yeah, go on, David. Go on, David. Yeah, okay. So... Uh, so David Thompson, um, 
like you said, some of the, the better known games for both of us are Undaunted, Normandy, North Africa, and, uh, and War Chest. Um, I was fortunate that basically I started into game design around the same time I was beating Trevor. So we worked together on a lot of things. I mean, I've worked on other things uh, independent of him, but I kind of grew up with him as like, you know, uh, a co-designer throughout, even even when it's not something he's designing. Um, the other thing that's hopefully apparent to people who play our games is like, we're also extremely good friends, right? So mm-hmm. um, just, it's kind of my background. I mean, we could talk forever about other stuff that I've worked on, but that's, those are the things that I'm, I'm most proud of probably, right? And um, it also reflects like the thing that's most important to me, I think in gaming is just the people and working with people mm-hmm. on, fun, creative stuff. I totally second that. Um, so, yeah, David and I met about five years ago, six years ago. Um, so you, you'll notice from our voices, listeners, that um, we aren't British. But but I, I live in the UK now, and David lived in the UK for four years, was it? Yeah, yep, four years. years. Yeah, so um, we, um, I came here um, for a woman. So my, my wife is British. And um, we spent 10 years um, traveling around, working and studying. And then, you know, we had a baby and needed to land somewhere <laughs> close to our family. And so we picked the UK. Um, and I met, and then, yeah, David came here independently for work. Um, and we met um, and, yeah, have been designing games t- together ever since. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, like David said, we also design games separately from each other you know we cheat on each other so i i, I like <laughs> there's enough <laughs> so we, we basically met um around a, a really wonderful community of game designers um based around cambridge matthew dunston um brett j gilbert um chris marling and i mean there's 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 lots lots more um and so yeah we, we were a bit incestuous so um i designed a lot of games with brett um david has designed a few games with chris that was far too long an introduction. I apologize. <laughs> no, that was great. That was great. Thank you. Um, we just lost half the listeners. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. At least I didn't talk about growing up playing D and D. So yeah. don't worry about that. Oh no, we can talk about that later. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, uh, and that's uh, and also inevitable. This podcast. I don't think an episode of this podcast has gone by without someone saying something to that effect so yeah exactly. yep. and then i started playing magic the gathering yeah. and then i played settlers of catan <laughs> yeah. blah, blah. Yes, exactly, so. that's it um and well i suppose actually that's a nice way to go into i really my my, my first question which is um because we're here to talk about abstract war games yes but, um what do we mean by abstract war games and i think um, if i can start us off with one i would say chess mm. Is that fair? <laughs> yeah, it depends. It depends on who you ask, right? So, we we're walking on minefields here when we talk about anytime you introduce the word war game into a conversation, you know, mm. no one, literally, no one's going to agree with anything we say. So, I would say yes, sure, yeah, yeah. Well, ab- abstract war games, at least, because right. I think yeah. um, so that yes, there are there are several kinds of war gaming out there, um, and the I think the abstract. Um, so I suppose there, mu- there must be two kinds of abstract at least. Then there's there's your kind of abstract, which is um, the uh, kind of probably the most fun, I would say. Um, and then <laughs> and then there's the other kind of abstract, which um, is the terrifying amount of tokens. Uh, I think that's a lot of people would say that's the other kind of abstract you could go down. Um, 
I might I might be talking absolute nonsense there. And then and then of course there's <laughs> and then of course there's you know Warhammer and and miniatures gaming uh, itself you know, that, that kind of stuff. But um, but yeah, would, I mean, would you like to sort of tell tell me what abstract wargaming is? That's fine. We, we were talking about this right before the call. Go on, David. Yeah, you, so, I mean, so, you're the most dogmatic. So let's start with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think so. I think it's important. To, let's let's talk about the the certain things. Like we all agree that chess is an abstract game, right? Mm. We all agree that uh, the old school hex encounter games are war games, right? So those are the kind of two ends of the spectrum where we start. Um, my personal favorite kind of games are what are called waros or war game euros, mm. right? So war games that have a war theme that have euro uh, game mechanism influence, right? So I think somewhere along that spectrum, all that stuff sort of converges and anything that's even remotely in that bubble it meets my criteria of an abstract war game, right? Uh, mm. But it, interesting, like Trevor said, we were having a discussion. Like he asked, is Small World a Ooh. a waro, a war game euro? And I would say, in my world, it doesn't it doesn't meet the criteria because for me, it has to have a historical, a real world historical tie, mm. right? Now, a lot of people don't agree with that. You know, many war gamers, if it's a sci-fi hex encounter game, it's a war game. But if it's uh, Twilight Struggle, it's not, right? So, I mean, we just have to all agree that no, we're, no one's going to agree on, on whatever we do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm, I'm happy with anything in that space. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's like any definition. It falls apart on scrutiny. So um, it's, yeah, I think, I think the historicity, if, if you will, like the historical side, I think is something that a lot of people fall on and, at the end, you know, we're going to come to our sort of our, our favorites, our top five. And for that, we've explicitly tried to exclude games which aren't at least loosely based in something historical. But um, I'm happy, like, I'm happy to call chess an abstract war game. Um, you know, it's not really historical um, in any sense. I mean, it's, 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 it's an old game and it yeah. has a history, but the subject matter isn't trying to simulate any particular type of thing mm -hmm. um, um whereas any most of the games we'll be talking about do to some degree yeah. so so yeah that's I, th I like that that definition there of the historicism or the um i guess uh it's i, I always i always think of it, the, the biggest part of an abstract war game is giving you the feeling of being in i guess being in charge of an army but maybe without the admin of being in charge of an mm -hmm. army yeah. <laughs> right yeah. you know uh, yeah. and that, i mean that's what i like most about um uh, uh undaunted and, and, and war chess uh in particular um so w the way i play war chess and the way w war chess sort of came into my heart is that it, it it fits into a kind of game that um me and uh me and my brother play you, you know you have sorts of lots of different um groups of people you play games with in your life and um and I think when you said that it's very obvious that you two are, are very good friends um, when you're making a game, that, that struck something with me there, which is that's maybe one of the things I feel when playing this game because it's one of those things that one of those games I can play with my brother. And they are um, these uh, analytical, very, very good for like um, for dueling games, mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah. something where there's a lot of push and pull against the other person, but it's not, um, there's no necessarily. An, not necessarily any take that uh particularly yeah, or anything like that. And, sure. and yeah. mechanically pure 
as well. So I wondered if um, you could talk a bit more about um, uh, abstract war games and um, uh, like that dueling aspect, maybe. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, for sure, everything you said is true. Now, keep in mind, uh, when I think this is me personally, right? So uh, when Trevor and I were designing War Chest, we probably played it, I don't know, three, four hundred times, mm-hmm. maybe, minimum, right? Yeah. Because you have to, because there's so many... Mm-hmm. So many different variations of the troop combination. Um, so it has to be something that can play, you know, quickly. And it has to be something you will, you want to play with the same person over and over yeah. and over. Um, That's it. Just if I can tangent real quick, you mentioning yeah. playing with your brother. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when, I, when I came back to the U.S., I visited my family in Georgia on a vacation. And my brother and I, we went to, we took all the kids, just me and him to a trampoline park. And so all the kids were playing on the trampoline park for like yeah. three hours straight. And we played war chest. He had never played war chest. So I taught him. Mm-hmm. And I think we played war chest probably 12 times in a row. Yeah. And we just, we played it and we took it out and we played it and we played it and we played yeah. it and we played it's, it. And it, yeah. I, I'm going to tangent too, since like <laughs> I, I did, I, I literally did the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I went home, visited my brother um, and we sat down and played war chest. 20 times and yeah. undaunted 20 times like you know that to me like that's that's the sign of you know like i grew up playing all of these games i grew up playing you know like war games and, and abstracts and, and you know magic the Gathering. But all of these games i played with my brother and it was always that like you know the, the that that dueling friend like the friendship of the dueling and the you know all, and so that yeah. has totally influenced the types of games that i make um, and so, and then so David and I have both yeah. sort of have that and we, you know, so I mean, it, it also, it also massively helps to make two player games. Um, <laughs> obviously, I mean, obviously we do play test with, with other people, but we can spend the massive amount of development time just working on it ourselves. And yeah. so now they're games, I... they're games built out of friendship now one thing that's important to me um and it's not this is not necessarily true to everybody that likes abstract games but um i so my wife doesn't like to play head-to-head combat or abstract mm-hmm. games she she says they make her feel stupid right she doesn't like santorini yeah. she's playing uh she'll play war chest but those kind of the games in general she's not a huge fan of I don't like playing games with my brother that have no randomness or variance in it. So I would not want to play chess against my brother. Mm-hmm. But I think War Chess does a really good job of there's only a little bit of, of variance in the game, but the variance that exists allows you to basically say, well, let's play it again, right? Because yeah. we're not playing a strictly skill-based game, right? There's just a little mm-hmm. bit of randomness in it. Yeah, and I think, um, and I, that's that's lovely to hear that you uh, you <laughs> both had the same uh, sort of fraternal experiences because uh, that's that's, exa- <laughs> that's exactly what I did. Um, uh, one one Sunday, went went to see my brother, and we we sat there and lost an entire afternoon to it. Um, so that's that is exactly what happened to me as well on my first my first um, uh, session of war chess. Um, so yeah, yeah, as you say, yeah, twelve or so games. It's, it's incredible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um but the, yeah and i think that's that's one of the nice things i try and explain war chess to people and i say it's a bit like chess but you have to you kind of you draft your pieces and then um then the, and then obviously there's the bag building mechanic and i suppose we should just explain what war chest is um 
Uh, actually, would, you, would you like to explain what Worcester is just for our, our listeners? Because I've I've run in here because obviously I'm, I'm deeply in love with it, and uh, <laughs> that's not going to that's not going to help our listeners understand it at all. Is it? So, would you would you like to give a, a small proxy of, of what Worcester is? Yeah, sure. So it's it's um, it's a two or four player game. So I mean, we've been talking about here two players, and that's definitely how is the core was designed. But you can also play with teams, um, and essentially each player is abstractly taking on the role of a commander of um, a medieval army. Um, and you each each player gets four units. Um, and so there's all the classics you would expect, archers, um, uh, pikemen, and various types of cavalry and various types of infantry. And they all are slightly different, um, you know, I guess in the same sort of way that the different chess pieces are different. Um, and you build your army at the beginning and then um, you the, the you play on a on a on a, a board which um, is an uh, abstract hex board with a few control points and essentially the the aim of the game is you start we start on one side and you want to run in and grab these control points or take them away from your opponents and the first person to get some number of them wins um, and and then yeah the other the other thing is is the bag building mechanic um, which is essentially you have a, a bag. Um, and you have your pieces, and the pieces are not, um, you know, they're not wooden carved pieces like a chest. They are um, uh, poker chips, and they represent, and then they show which which the unit on one side. And essentially, at the beginning of each round, you pull out some of these, and then you take turns playing one by one. And you can use these poker chips to do a variety of things. Essentially, you can put them on the board to make a unit of that type. So you can put the archer out and I have an archer, yay. Or you can play um, the, the the piece to to do something with the matching unit. So I can play the archer. If the archer's out, if I have an archer on the board, I can play an archer from my hands to move him around or shoot or, or control a spot that he's on, that sort of thing. Um, and then the final thing you do is you can spend a, um, one of these pieces to, to take another piece and put it into your bag. So you can sort of control um, the... Yeah, what's what you have available to you. So the more archers I put in my bag, the more often I, it will come out. So the more often I can use my archer to run around and shoot. Um, so that's that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. Slightly longer than a nutshell, quite a large <laughs> nutshell. Probably <laughs> walnuts. Walnuts. Possibly a coconut. Uh, <laughs> yeah, coconut. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, uh, but that is that is it, and I think that um, that sort of expresses when coming back to the dueling aspect what you do there when you're playing war chest is you are constantly trying to push against your opponent to find their weak spot um on the board and then also with your configuration of your bag and then also in your earlier strategic choices of which units you took into the the battle itself um i mean the way we played it we did sort of several different versions of how units are chosen at the start sometimes we mulliganed sometimes we had um uh, random draws you know all this sort of stuff so it's um it's a game that opens itself up to lots of um, uh, different ways of uh, uh, of play, um, but yes, yeah, so, yeah, that dueling aspect sort of um, uh, can, yeah comes down to that um, pushing against each other uh, in some way, and I think that's something we see in Undaunted as well, um, which is uh, uh, and one of the things I wrote in um, the North Africa review is that it is very um, objective focused, um, mm. uh, and I, I wondered if um, wonder if you could sort of talk about the way abstract games using these objectives um, 
sort of give us that feeling of pushing against each other because it's, it's not a feeling you get in every game you don't always get the feeling of um because uh, take that games feel very nasty sometimes and uh euro games often don't feel like you're even playing a game with other people um <laughs> yeah that's that's, very, that's cruel of me but um uh, it's, yeah. it's, very, it's very jolly but um you can have a very nice time uh but you don't often feel like you're in, in competition in a direct sense mm. um because because they're low conflict or no conflict um yeah so yeah uh would you would you like to would you be able to talk to me about how you get that feeling of pushing against each other yeah, I mean, uh, so one thing that we were we made a very conscious decision of in both games is we did not want the goal of the game to be to kill each other, right? That's good. Yeah. So you know, if you play if you play either of them, now there are a couple of scenarios in Undaunted uh, Normandy where you have to pin the opponent, meaning take their their tokens off, or uh, hmm. in North Africa the same. But those are the exception rather than the rule. Um, and and we wanted if. If you're going to have combat in the game, it's because it's a means to, like, you have to do it in route to controlling, right? So we knew from the start in both games that we wanted the goals to not be conflict itself. Yeah. Um, so that was one very important thing. I will say that in War Chest, if I'm remembering correctly, and this has been a year since we worked on this, mm. Trevor, correct me if I'm wrong, we probably spent more time getting the board control composition like meaning how many control points there are and where they are that was probably the most challenging thing we had right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. getting getting the goal right absolutely yeah absolutely yeah i mean yeah we i mean obviously the last whatever it was six months of the design was just grinding through all of the units because there's like 16 units and so it's getting getting the balance right but definitely definitely we spent longer on getting getting the objective right yeah. Um, I'm just, just to bring it back away from more chess more generally is that like, I mean, the reason why I, I mean, the re my take is the reason why take that feels weird, mm. um, has a different feeling than, than conflict games mm. is that like, you know, it's, it's, it's the objective of the game is there's a pie and I need to get a percentage of that pie. And I, and that's, that's how I win, right? Like that's, that's yeah. what I'm doing. Whereas like, a lot of things that you classify as take that is we're doing something else and then every once in a while i'll just sort of randomly you know slap you or take yes. one of your things yeah. it's, so it's like you can't you can't play a game like chess and then complain that someone's taking your pieces it's like well i mean that's <laughs> what the, that's what the game is like yeah. you know and, and you cannot like that sort of game and mm -hmm. lots of people don't that's perfectly fine but it's not we're we're each working on our own little project, and every once in a while, the game tells me to interfere with you. It's like, no, our projects are aligned and opposed. It's I need to do this, and you need to do the same thing, or you need to stop from doing this thing. So I think that's why. Um, yeah, anyway, just I think that's a, a key part of it. Yeah, I think that. I mean, I think that 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 sounds right to me. Um... And that, yeah, that, that that phrase you used there, uh, aligned and opposed. I think <laughs> I think that, that's I think that's a really elegant way of saying kind of like uh, what what's at the heart of these games, um, which is that you yeah you are. Um, so it's a really hard thing for me to articulate you know, um, what what I like about it. And so I, um, so I'm, that's why I'm obviously coming to you to to tell me the uh, secrets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yes, it, and it comes back. I guess it comes back to that whole sort of um, brotherly conflict thing we were coming, we were talking about earlier. Um, shall we? Um, should we talk about abstraction in general? Because some people, sure. some people bounce off it, don't they? The idea of playing yeah. an abstract game. Uh, why do you, Why do you think that is? Hmm. 
Uh, I think maybe because it just doesn't, there's not something from maybe familiar with them or doesn't resonate in some way, right, that in, interests them. I mean, um, I do like abstract games, but I can understand why a person would go into it and say, you know, I don't, there's nothing here that I'm, I can, um, there's no touchstone for me, right? Or mm -hmm. there's no familiar element. And so it just might not evoke any sort of emotional response from them. I think even when it comes to something like explaining how the rules of a game, um, like if there's, and I guess it's what they call it, no, no touchstone, like if you have nothing to tie it to, then you're just learning rules, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, you know, like, you, you just have to learn how the bishop moves in chess, right? Like, there's like, like diag diag <laughs> diagonal has nothing to do with being a bishop, right? There's there's not there's nothing there's nothing you know there's nothing there. Whereas a game which has rules which are integrated with its theme, or like then mm -hmm. then you a lot of it just sort of comes for free. I mean, you still have to learn it, obviously. Mm -hmm. Every but it just it it makes that a lot easier. And it makes it a lot more approachable, I think, to a lot of people. Um, I think, too, I mean, if you think about modern abstract games, so not like chess and Go, but like modern games, if we're like, let's say we're playtesting a game and somebody brings a game to, to playtest and it's an abstract game and it's clearly like you can basically like see the numbers and the rules in front of you mm. and it's very transparent, like that's not engaging. But if you think about modern abstract games that are that have done well, like an Azul, like mm. that that's obfuscated right and so i think that um i think some people appreciate the pure abstract right like like they yeah. they like to see that but for a game to truly transcend to a broad audience i think you have to obfuscate the the, the abstraction to some to some extent yeah i think that's right i think that's right and i think also um uh going back to your point trevor that that um it's a, a thing i uh, Feel it's like a thesis I'm working on or something. That the theme is the thing people fall back on when the rule book doesn't work for them. <clears throat> you know, because they're like, "Oh, is it right that um, yeah this this thing trades for this? Yes, that makes sense. Or that we discard this card after it's used and things yeah. like that because it's a yeah. it's the kind of thing that would be discarded in the scenario that fits with the theme. You know, and I think I think those things work um, really nicely. I think I mean I guess that's why um, the the undaunted. Uh, series using the historical theme um, work so well. Um, should, we, should we talk about North Africa? Um, sure. Uh, yeah. So, um, well, I'm going to ask. I'm going to do the stupid thing of uh, asking you, well, what is it? What What is Undaunted in general, or North Africa? North Africa. Yeah. North Africa. Yeah. yeah. So, so North Africa obviously is the sequel to Undaunted North Norm, Normandy, right? So it's the standalone sequel. So second game in the series. Um, Undaunted Normandy, just briefly for mm. people, it was all about platoon level combat. So if you don't know anything about wars, we're really taught war games. We're, we're talking about groups of like 30 to 40 guys, right? That's what it's simulating. Uh, North Africa takes a much uh, more scaled in view, right? So literally you're hand, you know, working with a hand, group of five or six guys. Um, so it's a much more like commando feel, if you will, mm -hmm. right? From that from that perspective, and you, one player takes the role of what's called the long range desert group, which was a group, a Commonwealth unit, mostly New Zealanders, uh, British, um, Indians, South Rhodesians, 
they were working together in North Africa, um, operating behind enemy lines. And so we joined them at the towards the beginning of the war. So it's Italy is their adversary. So it's early on in North Africa. So one one side plays the the Commonwealth, and one side plays the Italians. And it's um, uh, and it uses a deck building system. So two things real quick, and I'll turn it over to Trevor to elaborate. Oh. So one thing I just noticed when I when when Trevor described yeah. War Chest, he broke it down mm. purely mechanically. And when I described on Dawn today, there was not a, a mechanical element in that entire. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's yeah, it's absolutely hilarious because like, I mean, I know all of the details that David just gave, but if you were to ask me to describe, <laughs> it's terrible. So you describe it, describe it in North Africa. I would have been like, um, yeah, there's some guys, and no, I, I'm joking. But it's, it's yeah. So da- just to be clear, David is absolutely the the the, the history guy in this partnership. Um, and I, I did my due diligence, like when we were when we were working on um, uh, North Africa. Like I, you know, I got some books and I did read about it, and so I, I have certainly some of the background knowledge. But anyway, so that's that's what Undaunted North Africa is from the perspective of. The, the theme and the story um not the story i mean it's it's actually history so um yeah but that's 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 the the situation that you are in um and in terms of the system so it's it's um there's you know you've played over a series of scenarios and each of these scenarios represents um a different encounter between the lrdg and the times um and you know you can we recommend that you work your way through the scenarios but they are totally standalone um and in each scenario basically it will tell you like you know what the goals of the two sides are um and these vary from controlling spots on the boards to escaping off of the boards to blowing things up to you know to um you know there's there's variety of goals um and um yeah so essentially you you have it also tells you then which which um which soldiers you have at your disposal um and like david said each side has between three and six or seven different different individuals um and um and they you know they start in specific spots but then they're controlled by a deck of cards Mm -hmm. Uh, and so the you, you have a starting deck right so the the initial cards and generally it's a few cards of each of the of the soldiers that you have um, but one of the things you can do, um, similar to War Chest, mm-hmm, is you can you can add new cards into your deck, right? <laughs> um, and so, and the way you do that is by using um, uh, um, com- command cards, and so these represent off-board, you know, um, squad leaders. And um, God, here I'm already falling apart. David, give me the names of the people. <laughs> on, the, on the LRDG side, you have warrant officers. You have yes. Net, right. Exactly. Staff exactly. sergeant. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And so they they can be used to add new cards into your deck, which again um, allows you to it changes the the frequency with which you'll be able to activate those those particular soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, and yeah, and there's I mean a relatively streamlined combat system. Um, but one 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 of the cool things is when you get hit. Um, when one of your um, soldiers gets hit, um, you lose a card from that soldier in your deck. <clears throat> um, and so, and then when the last card is gone from the deck, then then that that soldier is is you know has been 
wounded and they're or killed and they're in there and they're out. Um, and I mean that, so that's the basic shtick. And then um, what we've added in in on in North Africa is um, in a few different things. There's quite a bit more asymmetry in terms of the goals, in terms of the the soldiers available. So um, it's uh, you know the, there are just yeah the, the the two sides are quite different. Um, and then um, the other thing we've added is vehicles, um, which wasn't in the original game, um, and so. And this is probably the. Um, it's funny because this this was with this this was the big thing, and um, but I think in terms of the reviews that we're seeing so far and in initial comments of the people, the, the asymmetry is what people are as, as excited about as as the as the vehicles. But the vehicles are yeah, it's pretty again, it's pretty abstract, it's streamlined the way they work. But essentially, you have a, a vehicle which is an off-board car, a small car, and it has some seats, and you can put your um, soldiers into the seats in the vehicle and then the vehicle the, those seats have different actions associated with them so if you're in the driver's seat then you can drive the vehicle if you're in the seat with the big gun you can fire the big gun um that that sort of thing um and um you can jump in and out of the vehicles um so it's quite sort of yeah it does evoke that sort of commando feel and that was very much intentional from the beginning we wanted to still focus on the individuals um but have them you know, running around, jumping in and out, you know, their vehicles are getting blown up and, you know, crawling out from the wreckage and all that sort of thing. That was definitely what we were trying to evoke. Um, anyway, that's more than a nutshell again. So, <laughs> yeah. So, that, I mean, um, that, so that's Undaughted uh, uh, North Africa. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's interesting what you brought up there about asymmetry uh, being picked up on so much um, because it is, it is really nice. Um how and you yeah, have to focus on your own strengths you know you're kind of you're kind of led by the scenario um and it's all about managing again managing your your um uh your your deck um to make sure that you've got the the right thing that's going to push against what your opponent's going to do um that abstract the abstract combat there um you're sort of asking people to make choices about uh whether they're going sort of long-term choices versus short-term choices. Um, I wonder if you, you want to speak on that um, briefly in terms of how, how that differs from maybe other, uh, other kinds of game. Most of the times in a scenario, you start with like one card per counter on the board. Uh, and if you lose all your cards, the counter is going to come off. And in North Africa, never come, it can never come back on. Uh, but you can add as many as four cards to a guy, right? Mm. So if you really have one guy that's super important... You'll probably deck build that guy. You'll add a bunch of cards, and that means he's going to be going a lot. Um, one thing that I'm really proud of, if I can tangent real quick, is you know, in certain games, in a war game, war, like a proper war game, a uh, old school war game, you represent things like the efficacy of a unit through things like just mm -hmm. giving it a higher number or whatever it is. And one thing that comes out organically and undaunted is uh, if a guy is, you know, important if he's your most important guy then he's going to have this ability to produce more firepower organically by deck building him right yeah so that's kind of a nice aside to it um so one thing you're going to be doing is building the deck towards the guy who's the default most important or whatever because you don't want to lose him and you need him to go um your opponent has a lot of different things they can do to you so they can do things like gumming up your deck with fog of war cards mm -hmm. to try to to try to um reduce the efficiency of your deck. They can also just directly attack your guy. Now, uh, if there's 
anything that's frustrating to brand new gamers of Undaunted, it would be this, this sometimes people have a tendency to just never advance their guys and just shoot constantly. Mm-hmm. And you're rolling a 10 sided dice and you're just hoping for like to roll a nine or a 10, mm-hmm. right? Which is just not likely to happen. So the game definitely promotes you managing your deck and you maneuvering into advantageous positions and then playing the odds, right? So in the game, without going into a bunch of detail, there are options like um, suppressing. So I can roll four dice to try to target a guy, drastically increasing the odds, but I'm just slowing him down. I'm not taking a card out. So throughout the game, you're going to make all these tough decisions about, is it more important for me to advance my guy right now and leave him vulnerable or to make a suppression shot to slow my opponent down with a high bil- you know, high probability, but he's not going to remove a card. Um, is it more important for me to just remove the guy altogether from my own deck, right? So you have all these choices about efficiency of your deck, efficiency of your opponent's mm-hmm. deck, and then weighing that with the di- the luck of the dice, right? Because at the end of the day, for you to hit somebody, you're going to, you're going to have to roll, roll dice at some point. Mm-hmm. So shall we do your top five? Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, Now, are are these? Would you like to introduce the top five? The Tabletop Gaming Game Store is open and dispatching orders worldwide. Visit www.tabletopgaming.co.uk to read the reviews and buy the games directly from us. So these are games that all share, I would say the thing that these games share is a historical slash war element to them. And they are all over the, the spectrum in terms of some are abstract, some are war games, some are, you know, you'll, you'll kind of see. But these, I would just say that all of these games clearly fall into the bucket of having either a war or historical element to them. Okay, so this is uh, your, I guess, your top five war games? That we're going for? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. yeah. But, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. but they all share, again, to varying degrees, that abstract nature. None of these are full on um, old school hex. I gotta stop saying old school. That's that's derogatory. Yeah. But like, you know, like old, like 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 full on simulus game, simulationist yeah. games. If, if now, you know the term, if you know the term grognard, right? Yeah. Um, none of these are grognard games. Every every one of these games would appeal to a broad board game audience not yeah. just war game audience yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. so they're all very careful in what elements like you know they're trying to simulate and what ones they're not like they you know they focus in on a subset of the possible things which could have been focused on to represent that particular conflict or whatever yeah okay so we we, we overlap in three is that right and then yeah we each had our our own wild card one so go yeah. on well, excellent Okay, so can first of all, before we start, I want to have I want to squeeze in two honorable mentions. Can I oh, do that? Yeah, of course you can. Yes. Okay. I think I think we're getting close to a top ten, and that sounds great. So <laughs> <laughs> by the time it's done, we'll have a top fifty. Yeah, so, perfect. Uh, so two two that I want to mention are really systems more than they are specific mm-hmm. games. So one is Academy Games has a what they call their Birth of America series. So that's mm-hmm. if people know them, seventeen seventy five, eighteen twelve, seventeen fifty four. They also have uh, eight seventy eight Vikings, which is the Viking invasion of, of England. So that's a really really good, highly recommended if you if you like what's called a maritime, like combat games, if you like dudes on a map, if you like war games, if you like Euros, it, it scratches a lot of those itches. 
Yeah. And it has something that I love. It's a team game, right? So at its at its best, it's played for four players, two versus two. So all of those games are fantastic. So highly recommended. The other one is uh, the other system is Quartermaster General. Oh so yes, there's Quartermaster go. General. Yeah, for for World War One, two. I mean, if you name it, you know, it, it's it's maybe you have it. You know, Cold War. So uh, a fan me, I would call it a prototypical war a war game Euro hybrid, right? Mm-hmm. So war theme, but very much Euro mechanisms driving it. So those are two that didn't make the list, but are my honorary mentions. All right, well, those, those are my two honorary, honorary. So I guess we're ready to start our proper top five, mm-hmm. right? So, Trevor, you want me to go first? Is that right? Yeah, go on. Okay. I mean, do, do, have we actually ranked them? No, we I never didn't... ranked them. So this is this is not us copping out. This is legitimately five five games, no rank. <laughs> okay. Then, yes, <laughs> um, I, I think we've only had um, a couple of uh guests on who've given us a top five where they've uh, committed to saying there's a number one and a number five <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yep so uh so we'll start with our individuals first so my individual I, i'm 13 days i don't mm. know if you know 13 days uh it is a car driven game so if people aren't familiar with car driven games it specifically means uh a game that has you play the cards to take actions there's almost always two of parts of the card one part is command points that gives you points to spend to do things and the other is like an event oftentimes if you play it for the event your, your opponent might get to do something in return etc uh so these are popular sub genre of war games um they have a lot of euro crossovers and so uh 13 days is my favorite type of game because it packs all of that into about 30 minutes maybe even less if you know what you're doing um, so there's a, a lot of those that I would recommend. Watergate's a new one too, if people have heard about Watergate. Uh, but 13 Days is my favorite. Fantastic. That's, that sounds fabulous. Okay, my my, my wild card um, was published in 1959. <laughs> um, it is Diplomacy, so it is the <laughs> classic game of. Um, so okay, look, I'll say for you those people who don't know it, it is a seven-player game. I mean, you can play it with fewer you can play with six six is okay five is eh, anything lower than it just falls apart um and it is historical it starts in the spring of 1901 so basically is the lead up to the first world war um and it you know it's it's a map of europe at the time um and each player plays one of the powers and then um it is a game of diplomacy and backstabbing and it's the game that ruins friendships but Oh, and it's also about seven hours long, and you can effectively be eliminated in the first round. But, but all of that, given all of that, it is, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It, it does, it is so incredibly streamlined and simple. Um, essentially, there's two types of units. You've got land units and sea units. And, um, and at the beginning, and this is the brilliant thing, each round, you basically, it's a bit fiddly but it was 1959, they didn't know about other options. You write down for each of your units what it's gonna do. And the, the actions are simple, like move into here or support someone else, which basically attacks them or support someone moving into some into, into another place. And that's it. And then every other round, so you have the spring and the fall, in the fall, you check to see if there's a control spots on the board. So, and then you see you know, who controls those control spots and the objective is to control a certain number of them, either on your own or most likely in a alliance of some sort. But the whole game, it's all done simultaneously. That's the brilliance of it. So mm-hmm. the whole game is 
you spend 15, 20 minutes, you know, wheeling and dealing, backroom negotiations, making promises, and then everyone writes down what they're actually going to do, and then you reveal them one by one, and people cry, and <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. And um, and this game, I mean, that that simultaneous um, sort of you know that that simultaneity is it's, it's it's beautiful, and then of course that has been used in more modern games. I mean. In terms of, of other historical games which have used it, and nothing is jumping to mind. David Feldman knows like 30, but um, but certainly like a Game of Thrones, um, that sort of a recent a recent-ish game that uses that sort of simultaneous thing. And again, it builds on the, the, the all of this intrigue and negotiation and backstab. And, yeah. yeah, I love it. I love it. I played I played it, you know, 50 times um, in my sort of teenage years um and then we, you know, we absolutely loved it but it's you need a whole day <laughs> a lot a lot of friends yeah yeah uh, i do i do like anything where um uh it asks everyone to commit at once and also allows for a, a great deal of um negotiation because uh, i i like i really like people making soft deals that yep. then um lead to one of them uh very badly getting um I'm trying to think of the polite way to say something over, but um, uh, um, <laughs> I'm always a big fan of that. Um, so yes, um, so what do we have next? So I, I realized after I did my Trevor, I, I think I cheated because you played 13 Days in Watergate, right? Yeah. So you you so that should have been our joint one. So that was one yeah, of our yeah. joint. I'm I'm, I'm, ha- I'm happy yeah. to throw those on my list. Both of those yeah. are the most great. Yeah, great I was going to say, did you want to add anything to that? That my description of those. That I missed I mean, well, that, that class uh, of games. no that cl- no I mean I mean you know if you want to get pedantic as I was <laughs> when we discussed this last time David I mean Nixon I mean well yeah I mean, Watergate isn't a war game but it uses that same system yeah. which you know yeah. it's, it's a it's it's historically rooted conflict mm. yep um so yeah there you go fine yeah but um yeah, yeah. Uh, so, oh, so this should have been my actual one that I played and hasn't. Sorry. Uh, so Sakagahara. So this is, in my opinion, um, so I love block war games. Okay. So let's talk about what what is a block war game. So it's literally a block, typically of wood, with some stuff on it facing you that your opponent can't see, and then throughout the course of the game, that's revealed. Right. So it's a great fog of war mechanism for games. Think Stratego. Think Stratego. Stratego. Yeah. And you know what's funny is I just what was I listening to today? I was, I was listening to somebody and they were, they were j- putting down the games they played as a child. They're like, oh yeah, I played Monopoly and da 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 and Stratego. And I was like, don't put down Stratego. Stratego is a fantastic game. Mm-hmm. Talk about an, a great abstract war game, yeah. right? Yeah, so absolutely. anyway, um, yeah, so Sakagahara, uh, <laughs> sorry, Unification of Japan. So fantastic war game, uh, really good, both the block element of it itself in the hidden hidden information of the units uh as well as some really interesting card play and combat resolution mechanisms so fantastic uh i would say it it is one of the two best games to get you into block war games if you're interested the other one being hammer of the scots which is harder to to get a hold of so uh yeah best in my opinion the best and best entry into the block war game uh genre that sounds really good. That's something I haven't tried actually, uh, but yeah. does does sound quite intriguing to me. No, it's great. Yep, I love it. Yeah, fabulous. Uh, 
What do we have next? Blitzkrieg. There you go. Um, so Blitzkrieg. Yeah. So this this is a game that David. <laughs> here's how much David loves this game. So um, Dave, <laughs> you know, we, David brought this game with him uh, to to Germany. So we went to the Essen Game Fair um, last year, and he brought the game with him. And you know, the largest game fair in the entire world. Um, <laughs> you know, it's probably five thousand new games, and David's like, dude, we have to play this game. So we basically sat down in the corner and grinded out six, seven games in a row. Was yeah. That something that's... yeah. Okay. So it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. So essentially, it's it's it, it, well, it claims to be World War II in twenty minutes, um, and and it's it's abstract, um, which obviously we have no problem with, given the topic of the <clears throat> of the podcast. But it's um, so essentially, you have a board which rep- and it, it abstractly represents the the various. Um, areas um they call the theaters the various theaters of the war Hmm. and um it's just it's really really clean where you have each player has a bag of tokens and you have a small hand of them and you take turns placing them out onto the board to try to control these different um theaters um and and yeah i won't we won't go into the details but there's essentially a few really clever uh, yeah, it's, it's just it's really clever really pure but um, it does a really good job to evoke, um, I think, um, you know, elements of, of that conflict. And, and yeah, and it's just brilliant. It's, it's so much fun. I, I think for what it's worth, um, I don't I would I would argue it. I don't think it really evokes World War Two personally, but I don't care. If it yeah. Right. <laughs> it's just so brilliant. It was my favorite game of last year. Uh, so first of all, we should say it's a Palomori design, yes. and I'm a Palomori uh, fanboy, like big time. Yeah. Uh, I think Ethnos is another brilliant game. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, it's a P and PSE is a publisher for that too, yeah. so PSE is getting a lot of shout outs. But uh, uh, I mean, it's just like Char said, it's just an unbelievably brilliant. I would call it a abstract territory, whatever you want to call it. What do you call it? Um, area control. Area control. Yeah, area control or area influence. But um, I mean, it might not evoke World War II, right? Like, it's super, mm. it's beyond after, but I don't care because it's so brutal. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, the pitch is just so powerful, isn't it? World, World War II in, uh, is it 20 minutes or is it 15 minutes? I, I it's cl- yeah, 20, it claims 20 minutes and yeah. it's easy. I mean, that's it's not lying, right? Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is great. You can get it below that. Yeah. Uh, so what are we following up Blitzkrieg with? Okay, so the last game... Uh, is a few acres of snow. Oh, good. Okay. So, yeah. So, um, I mean, for me, there's a lot of reasons personally. Like, what, it was it was the game that introduced me to the concept of deck building, right? Because mm-hmm. I came to the board game hobby relatively recently. So, uh, probably 2012, 13 is when I started playing modern games. So, um, it was first of all, I love the French and Indian Wars, a conflict. I, it probably second just to the World War II as far as um, of, of interest to me. Uh, it has deck building, but it has deck building in a way that is what we tried to do with, with Undaunted and, and, and um, War Chest, which tied deck building as the enabling mechanic tied to mm. spatial elements, right? Um, so it's kind of the combination of that, right? Like this, this is a genius mechanic that you can do all sorts of uh, really cool abstractions of reality that people don't have to know mm. about, right? Mm. Um, like it, if you start 
really diving into it. Like, oh, that makes sense. I understand what, you know, fog of war is, blah, blah, blah. But they don't have to understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just that combination of the, the period, the, the deck building mechanism, and the, the spatial play of the game. Yeah, I, it's funny. I, um, it's, it's a bit embarrassing, but I, I first played this game last summer. So, I mean, I've, I've known about this game essentially since it was released. And it's, I guess, it, like, yeah, it, it was, I knew from the moments I first read about it, the big game that I would love. And, but yeah, it was only this, this past summer that I got to play it. And it's not surprisingly, I played it with my brother on a trip home. <laughs> um, and we sat down and played it four or five times. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, I, I, it's, it's brilliant. Um, and it's, I mean, so I'm from New Brunswick, the East coast of Canada. So, um, you know, like it is literally situated in, the, the, the part of the world where I'm from so that has, has a bit of um, an extra love for me. But yeah, just that. I mean, so I, I did play deck builders before that. I mean, I played Dominion the year it came out and, um, you know, I was smitten with it for years and years and years. And um, I've loved deck building ever since. Um, but yeah, it was definitely one of, on one of these games which first cemented the idea that deck building can just be um, a part of the game, right? Like that it's a mm-hmm. sort of an enabling element to do something else. Um, and I mean, that's standard now, right? Like it's pretty standard now, mm-hmm. but I think it was probably, if not the first, then one of the first games to do that. And um, yeah, and it's it just did it so brilliantly. And yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's just a really engaging game one one real quick aside for people that are interested, like if you if you know about Futures of Snow, if you're interested or whatever, one thing we should say is there's a game called Hands in the Sea mm-hmm. that is uh, designed by somebody. So Futures of Snow designed by Martin Wallace. Uh, I don't know how easy it is to get a hold of, of a copy of it now because I don't know if Tree Frog Games is. I mean that they, they don't exist anymore, so I don't know if somebody mm-hmm. else is publishing it. I don't know what the status of Futures of Snow is, but Hands in the Sea. Uh, they openly, the designers openly credit uh, Fugers of Snow as being the inspiration. And it is essentially the same game. I think it's set in the Peloponnesian Wars, though. Yeah. So different different theater, uh, very similar mechanics. And some people would argue that it's more mechanically sound. Uh, I've okay. played them both. I like them both. So just just to let people know if you're interested in that game, there's checked out Hands in the Sea also. Well, that's very good. That's uh, thank, thank you for that. That's uh especially if people are looking for these things and they can't find them. Uh, it's a bit of a yeah. qu- quality of life. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah. Is, is, that our, is that our top five? I think so. I mean, it was our top something. Yeah. <laughs> 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 That's great. Okay. Right, can, I, can I do, before we do plugs, I'm going to do a plug, but not formal. Can I, can I since we, we did discuss abstracts, yeah. go and just, I'm just going to throw one in there. And Please. this is one of my absolute, favorite games of all time and i will defend it to the end of the earth yep. and it's hey that's my fish has anyone played that i've not played hey that's my fish that sounds <laughs> I, have, I mean i have played it are you are you trying to say it's an abstract war game is that what you're it's okay it is it is historically based it, you know you know penguins fighting over okay so it's an abstract game and it is a territory control like it's a conflict it is a conflict game um, and it's it is beautiful. It is uh, yeah. It, it, okay, essentially, essentially, it's it's one of these games which could have been designed, you know, hundred years, 
thousand thousands of years ago. So probably okay. So essentially, you have um, a hexagon tiles which show one, two, or three fish on them, mm-hmm. and each player has some penguins. Um, and it actually plays two, three, or four players. But in a four play, in a two player game, you each have four penguins. You basically shuffle these tiles up and build an iceberg from them. So that's the play area. And then you each, I can literally explain the whole rules. So you flop, you, you take turns putting your four penguins out. Um, and then each turn, you get to move one of your penguins. And you can move it as far as you want in any of, any of the six directions. Um, you can't move through other penguins. And this is where it's cool. So once you've moved the penguin, you take the tile that the penguin was on mm-hmm. and you take it off. So it creates a hole in the iceberg. Yeah. And you take that and however many fish were on it, that's how many points you get. And so essentially, then you just keep going. You can't never, you can never jump over these holes that get made. So basically, it's a, it is, it's a territory. It's a beautifully, beautifully simple territory control game, and it teaches you, like, because I'm a huge Go fan. It teaches you so many of the basics of a game like Go, mm-hmm. but it does it with a really, really cute and evocative and you know theme. It's even simpler and you know like I, I play with my kids like i started playing with the kids when they were um, you know i just played with my four-year-old son yesterday and obviously he doesn't get any depth out of it but you know the rules are simple enough that he can just myopically focus on getting the big fish with three on them mm-hmm. um you know and and not worry about the you know sort of the territorial like blocking off sections and then mm-hmm. hoovering them all at the end but it's brilliant yeah so there you go plug for what yeah i if I, yeah it's, it's it's absolutely one of my favorite games of all time and it's it's brilliant and it's still in print fantasy flight have a version out so you can actually find it like you can find it in you know <laughs> like I've, I've seen it in toy shops and these sorts of things so it's it's, it's out there and it's beautiful so is, this is a little bit like um i know I've, I've not played it I've not played this game, but I have it reported to me from several sources that um, the most ruthless game to play um, with other people is uh, apparently um, a kid in a shuffle. Um, <laughs> I don't know that. Well, it, it's, it's, I think it's a similar thing of um, moving about um, a play area and you, you, you play these... Um, I think you play the bugs on the kind of hedgehoggy things, um, and, but, it, it, oh, but it's one of the, it's one of those games that you know it says four plus on the box for um, for the age rating or, or whatever. But um, you apparently the reports I heard were of people um, gathering around tables at Essen and things like that uh, to <laughs> oh, to, wow. um, to uh, really to really get into it because like they, they've uh, it's the best two out of five or uh, sorry. Two out of five, two out of three, or whatever. It is. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know. Uh, so yes, uh, I think there's a, there's a whole genre of um, uh, kids games that are actually <laughs> perfect yeah. games of conflict. Um, shall yeah. I? Like? Yep. One one thing I'll say, following up on Trevor's, hey, hey, that's <laughs> hey, that's my fish. Yeah, hey, that's my fish. Is for all your listeners, we're going to spoil the next Undaunted expansion. It's called Undaunted, Undaunted March of the Penguins. That's it. All <laughs> conflict. <laughs> <laughs> but you heard it here first. That's it. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for that exclusive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, fabulous. Um, cool. Um, so, well, thank you both for coming on. And now, I think now we need to say, ask the the question I always have to ask, which is, what's next? What are, what are we allowed to talk about, David? So, okay. So, yeah. essentially, so we've got um, uh, for War Chest. So, War yes. Chest came out two thousand eighteen. We had an expansion for it last year, yeah. um, Nobility, it was called. Yeah. 
And we have a new expansion coming out later this year. Um, it should be in autumn at some point. Fall, depending on where the listeners are from. Um, and it's, uh, it's called Siege. I don't know how much David's. Look, I'm going to look at David. No. How much are we allowed to spoil? I, well, I think I think that based on what's been revealed so far, we can we can confirm that there's uh, siege weapons and there are fortifications. Oh, excellent! Did yes. you say that? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There you go. It has Trebuchet siege weapons and, and fortifications. Weapons. Fortifications. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Excellent. Well, yep. could you reveal how many how many new units we get? I four. Yeah, four yeah, new cool. units yeah. and. Uh, and another like new mechanism, right? So just like cool. just like uh, nobility, yeah. like we introduce like a kind of new. So in this case, that'll be the fortifications. It's kind of the new mechanism, and then four units that you can probably guess are mechanically and thematically tied to that. Mm. I mean, I think the original intent had been to release it at Essen, right? So I think it's, yeah. it's yeah, okay. they're planning around that time, right? Yeah, yeah. So October yeah. sort of time, yeah, lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Um, there's uh, Europe divided is coming soon. We know that. Yeah, so so Europe Divided is a game that I designed with Chris Marling. So um, we previously had worked on a game called Armageddon that was published mm-hmm. by Queen. Uh, Europe Divided is published by Phalanx. It is post-Cold War political uh, control over Central and Eastern Europe and the Caucasus by Russia and Western Europe. So yeah. one player takes on the role of, of the EU and NATO. The other one takes on the role of Russia. And you're trying to buy for influence over... In, uh, like I said, Central and Eastern Europe. That That is out now in Europe, but there's distribution issues within the U.S. due to COVID-19. So I think it's on pre-order everywhere. Yeah, um, yeah that, that looks really good. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping to get my hands on a copy soon. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, obviously we talked about North Africa. Trevor and I can say that we delivered the design for the next game in the undaunted series to uh, osprey and i guess we can say that somebody spoiled on bgg can we say that uh, i, guess, I yeah. mean technically i guess i mean yeah if you want to just go on bgg and look for the thread um yeah <laughs> so the next one is called reinforcements that's all we can say oh yeah. my gosh <laughs> <laughs> um and and yeah, and we are starting on the next one. That's and that's definitely we can't say anything more course, about it than that. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I also I'll just quickly plug. So I have a couple. Um, so I, so my so the my the other person I work the most with on games is is Brett J Gilbert. Brett Gilbert. Um, he just lives up the road from me. In fact. Um, and last year we had um, an Essen release um, with White Goblin Games, uh, their Dutch publisher, um, and it's called Maya. It's a, um, a tile-laying uh, game. Um, so it, it is abstract, and it is t- um, terri- territory control, so it's very much conflicty in that sense. Um, and we have a couple expansions coming out for that later this year. Um, and so that that focused on the the geography focus on the, the sort of the, the peninsula as a whole. And now each of these um, expansions zooms in on one of the cities um, and then adds a bunch of, so there's a new board and then adds new elements, um, uh, which, and these are all little modules, which can be mixed and matched. Um, so yeah, it's a, I'll go back to a tiny bit of history here. So I grew up, I mean, I, I came into Euros sort of, you know, in the era of, 
Catan and 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 Carcassonne like, so in the early days. And um, like, I don't know what has happened to Euros, but <laughs> in the early days, Euros were brutal and they were interactive. And like, I mean, Al Grande, I mean, like, you know, like that, like mm-hmm. Car- Car- Carcassonne is 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 nasty. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's and and somehow some. I mean, well, I mean, I, I, I that's a whole other podcast we can talk about. Like, the, yes, the, the, we, we, we do a double header. Is that what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're doing, uh, we're doing, basic, we're doing, let's let's set the euros to right. Uh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but basically, basically, um, so this this game Maya is 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 a um, love letter, if you will, to mm. games of that era, like um, which is you know it's it's uh, lot, lots of direct player interaction. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds great. I like the um, the modular element there, which I think mm. is something um, I I feel I'm seeing more in Euros um, uh, designers putting uh, the this um, uh, was it Miabi um, by uh, Michael Kisling. Um, oh yeah, uh, yeah. That comes with like five expansions in the box, um, and uh, it's one of those things like well, clearly you, you made this quite complicated game and then chopped a load of bits off and left them in the box um and it's, but it's really nice because it means you can sort of you can do that thing that kind of actually that war chesty thing of um uh, uh deciding oh now we're going to play it again but with this other expansion uh, that involves uh, a, a frog jumping up um the hill as well or whatever else it is you know uh, so I'm, I'm, big, I'm a big fan of um, any sort of um modular elements so that that's it for stuff. So we, I've just, um, I guess, there's one last thing. Another game with Brett um, that's just come out from Blue Orange Games. It's called Piece of Pie. Oh. So it's not conflict at all. It's um, a family game um, that is each player. It's it's a drafting game. So you you build some pies out of these nice. Um, it's a beautiful. They did a beautiful job on the production. It looks like a pie box. It's got a clear front, so you can look in and see the pieces. And you build um, some pies out in the center of the table, and then you take turns cutting slices out and taking them, making your own pie. And then it's, um, you know you're trying to do pattern matching and essentially just build, build the best pie that you can. Um, so yeah, again, it's very, it's very much aimed at a different audience than Undaunted North Africa, I'd say. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's really it's interesting because this is like my sort of our, my first foray into um, into that sort of space and so seeing the reviews that are coming out these are coming from these um, it's, it's 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 only been released in america now and it's coming you know and it's being sold into the toy market so oh, interesting. Um, which is yeah. yeah which is cool and so seeing seeing these reviews coming in from these people like, I, have, I have no idea who these reviewers are um because you know um and you know if you look on bgg there's like you know there's like eight ratings or something and it's like well i know the game is selling so clearly it's not Speaking about abstraction, to wrap it all up, I guess mm. is um, <clears throat> you can't have complexity, rules complexity. Mm. It's just yeah. cannot do it, and so you really have to rip out everything or start from nothing. Either it depends on how you want to come at it, but it's it's yeah, you need something that that presents itself, right? Yes. Like just you you flop the bits on the table, and you can essentially play from just mm-hmm. intuition, right? Um, yeah. it's one of the weird things about games. Like there aren't many products, consumer products in the world where some, you actually have to take out a piece of paper and read it to understand what to do. Like yeah, it's so just, we, we still have a lot of front loading, don't we? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so, you know, when you're competing with the rest of the products in the world, like 
it's 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 a hard sell for some people. So you have to do if you want to compete with things that do their things themselves, then you have to really strip it out. It's a fun design challenge, and it's just a different. So anyway, that's it. That's yeah. it for me. I, I'm going to move through these super fast because I know we're running long and people don't want to hear us talk about ourselves. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think they might do. <laughs> when I'm not when I'm not working with Trevor, um, I'm usually working on uh, solitaire war games or war games that have a, a solitaire a oh, thing excellent. to them. So um, coming out next month, I've got two different war games. Uh, one is called For What Remains, which is a post-apocalyptic uh, skirmish level war game. Uh, that's actually um, head-to-head or solitaire, right? There's a solitaire option. And the funny thing about that game is I originally started designing that about 15 years ago before okay. I even knew modern board games existed, right? So very strange. Like the influences are like things like Blood Bowl and D&D and Final Fantasy Tactics and stuff like I had no even concept of modern board games existed. So oh, that's, that's, that's so good. Okay, I need to play yeah. this. <laughs> So that's um, so it's gone through massive revision to like modernize the game, but yeah, that's that's where its origin is. Um, and then I have a game called By Stealth and Sea coming out next month, which is uh, human Italian human torpedo operators. So literally guys who would ride torpedoes um, from a submarine mm. to a target ship, so a British ship in port during World War II, and they would then take a mine off the torpedo, attach it to the target ship, and blow it up. Right. So believe right. it or not, that was a thing. So, uh, so it's, here's what's interesting. This is how, oh, this sorry. Is how sorry, that, so that part wasn't interesting, obviously. <laughs> so, so here's what's, what's mind blowing about this. So uh, in the port of Alexandria, right, hmm. the British had their two battleships at the time in the Mediterranean. So, you know, two of the best ships they had in the, in during World War II in the Mediterranean. And the Italians managed to, to basically damage both of them to the point where they couldn't be used so they knocked out two british battleships with six guys riding torpedoes <laughs> that's a pretty good rate of turn right there so, uh, so yeah so, so you it's a campaign based game where you basically you take control of these all these operators and you're managing like tech upgrades and their campaign experience and all this kind of stuff so again that's that's uh solitaire you can play it co-op but it's really designed mm. to be solitaire and then the last thing, and I don't know exactly what the time of this is, but um, I'm working with Rebellion. So people in the UK probably know Rebellion, right? Video games, comics, mm -hmm. et cetera. They've yep. started a board game division. Okay. And so I'm working with um, the the main guy there, Duncan, who re re uh, previously was with Osprey, to design the Sniper Elite for, uh, game. Mm -hmm. So it's a board game based on the video game Sniper Elite. Can you reveal anything of what that might what that might entail? Well, I mean, so we we did public demos at you at the um, oh PAX Unplugged. Mm -hmm. So it's been a while, right? Mm -hmm. Because of everything else that we would have demoed it as we can't we can't. Obviously, those conventions aren't there. Mm -hmm. And the Kickstarter, I don't know when it'll run. It was going to run earlier this year, but COVID nineteen mm -hmm. delayed it. So yeah. it's a hidden movement game where one player takes yes. on the role of the sniper, and they're moving around. And uh, so I this is a co design with a guy named Roger Tankersley, who's a good buddy of mine, but mm -hmm. also a coworker. He loves hidden movement games. Mm -hmm. So once I kind of settled them, that was the core mechanism. I brought him in. And so he's been hugely influential. Um, but we we specifically set out to do things like you can play a game like a, 
many of the hidden movement games, there's periods of like long periods where you don't really know what's going on and the tension kind of dies out and you're just trying to find somebody. And so we've tried to strip that out as much as possible. Right. So yeah. it's like 45 minutes of pure hidden movement tension was our target here. So, yeah. and, and plus the sniper gets to shoot people. So he's not just moving around, right. He's yeah. killing people. And, you know, so. No, that, I mean, that's, that's great. That sounds great as well. These, 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 <laughs> these, all, these all hit my buttons. Uh, so it sounds, it sounds like we've got some really good stuff coming up. Okay. Well, um, thank you very much for, uh, to both of you for, for coming on. Um, would you want to plug uh, where we can find you online or anything like that? Uh, I'm on Twitter. So my, my Twitter is at djackthompson uh, or on BoardGameGeek, right? So anybody yeah. can just go to BoardGameGeek, find me, and, and geek mail me. Those are probably the two easiest ways to, yeah, to get a hold of me. Yeah, same, same for me. So I'm at Trevor M. Trevor M. Benjamin on Twitter, and then just look for Trevor Benjamin on, uh, on BGG. Lovely. Great. Thank you both for coming on. Yeah, thanks for yes. having us. Yes, thanks. It was, it was a lot of fun. Bye. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thanks. Thank you for listening. Our intro music is Cloud Meetings by Body in the Thames, which you can find at bodyinthethames.bandcamp.com. Uh, you can find us on tabletopgaming.co.uk. You can find us on Twitter at tabletopmag, uh, on Facebook as Tabletop Gaming Magazine. You can find us on Instagram at tabletop underscore gaming underscore magazine. And we've just launched a Twitch channel, which you can find at twitch.tv forward slash tabletopgamingmag. If you like the show, recommend it to a friend, or subscribe to the magazine, which you can do on our website.